Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Um, Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for all that you uh, have done in our lives. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for what you accomplished um, two weekends ago as as the ladies get together and for all of the, the good things that uh, flow uh, flown out of that, um, flowed out of that, yeah, Lord, just pour uh, your grace to us, your mercy, and that we um, that we can just lose ourselves in you, and uh, Lord, that when we do, we f- we find ourselves in you. We thank you for that, Lord. And, and we pray today as we uh, spend some time in your word together that you would bless our time and uh, teach us that you would be our teacher, that we would learn what you have for, have for us today. Help us to, help us to be um, good listeners and, and uh, um, guide our thoughts, Lord, we pray. And Father, today we, we pray for those who, who have special needs. We think of, of Fred and his... Uh, back trouble that he's been having for quite some time now, Lord, and we just pray that you would um, cause the, the, those injections to do their job. Pray you'd use the doctors and, and the procedures that, that he's been uh, scheduled for, but Lord, beyond that, Lord, we know that you are the healer and that you, um, your touch heals, and so we pray you touch Fred in his body and strengthen him and heal him today. Uh, we pray for uh, Rhoda Rushton, Lord, that you would encourage her in, um, in, uh, in uh, these days of her life, Lord, and just help her family and encourage them as well. And Lord, there are just so many um, that we love that are struggling for different reasons. Um, we just pray that you would show your mercy, Lord, we, we know that we don't deserve anything from from you, and we don't come to you on the basis of our own merit at all or anything like that, Lord, but we come boldly with confidence in the name of Jesus because you bid us to and because you have made a way and because you are worthy and because you have paid the price, and um, Lord, that you invite us to come and take our stand in you, and uh, we thank you for your grace today. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word to our hearts, and we thank you for all that you have planned for today. We pray, Lord, especially for those unspoken needs and those unseen needs, that you would meet those needs today, Lord, that you would that you would show yourself mighty in these these areas as well. In Christ's name, amen. Yeah, we are on a three-year journey through the Bible. We started back in September, and we're in the book of Numbers now. Um, we'll be in the book of Numbers for the next uh, three weeks, counting today, and then we're going to be in Deuteronomy, and then we'll be uh, heading on into the Promised Land. Um, I hope you're doing some extra reading. That would be very, very helpful. Speaking of reading, I want to uh, start this morning by reading from uh, the last chapter of Exodus. We read some of this, we read this last 
week, I believe. <coughs> Excuse me, but uh, we'll uh, read from verse 34 to verse 38 of Exodus chapter 40. Put some context. It says that there that... Um, then a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the hosts of Israel, throughout all their journeys. And so uh, I have chosen to call the next uh, four weeks uh, wilderness journeys, instead of wilderness wanderings, because that's the word that's used there, and uh, I kind of like it. It's a nice word. Uh, in fact, I would suggest to you that wanderings eh, probably doesn't really describe uh, what we find in these chapters, and uh, it's uh, much more intentional than that. But anyways, um, Numbers 33. I know we're, gonna, we're not going to jump into Numbers 33, but we are kind of. Numbers 33, verse 1 says, These are the stages, or you could say journeys, of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And then that chapter, chapter 33 of Numbers, goes on to outline uh, the journeys of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. It, there's 40 place names listed there. and um, But if you compare the list with uh, portions of the book of Exodus and portions of the book of Deuteronomy, you will... Uh, realize that the list is not complete. And so that means that they, because um, somebody asked me, like, how many stops did they make over the course of the 40 years they spent in the wilderness? Well, we don't know, but we know it was more than 40. So that's a lot of moving. And uh, as we can uh, imagine, any of you who've been kind of coming along in this journey with us through the Bible uh, and, and have been reading through the material from Exodus on the tabernacle and all that was involved, not in just in the design and the construction of the tabernacle, but in the setting up of the tabernacle and then the tearing down of the tabernacle and then the moving of the tabernacle and then the setting up again of the tabernacle and then the, the worship in the tabernacle and then the tearing down of the tabernacle and then the moving of the tabernacle. That's a lot of work. That's a lot, right? And um, so, uh, so yeah, they, um, they moved around a lot. Numbers chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So they left Egypt about a year ago. What have they been doing for that year? Camped at Mount Sinai. Moses is up the mountain, gets revelation from God, the law, the Ten Commandments, and the instructions for all of the, the construction of the tabernacle. Um, you read through the construction and design of the tabernacle, a reasonable uh, amount of time that it would take to build all those things and make all of those things and set them all up and consecrate them and, and, 
and uh, consecrate the priests and, and, and so on, establish uh, the worship, um, a year. That's what we're looking at. And so a year has passed, and now, uh, again, reading from Numbers 1, 1 through 3, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai and attended a meeting on the first day of the second month. In the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. You and Aaron shall list them, company by company, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. What follows that statement in Numbers chapter 1, then, is the census. They basically counted all of the people. Specifically, they counted the men who were able to go to war. Uh, Twelve tribes, according to the sons of Jacob, you will recall. And uh, so the the purpose of the census, then, they're not just counting for the sake of counting, you know, like the count on Sesame Street who just love to count. They're counting for a purpose here, right? They're counting to organize. And specifically, they're counting to organize for combat. And um, we, we, have, we have seen that, and we'll continue to see as we read through these passages, that all of their organization centered around the worship but it was also for the purpose of war. It says they're company by company, or according uh, to the NIV, by their divisions. Or if you look back in the King James, it says by their armies. These were um, uh, a people that was organizing uh, what, uh, by God's instruction, what could be rightly called an army camp. Uh, the language is unmistakable. Okay, this is not a social event. This is not a church picnic. They were preparing for war. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 51, going back to the Exodus there, it says, On that day, uh, very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. That word host, uh, again, NIV uh, says divisions, King James says by their armies. You may be familiar with the expression the Lord of hosts, uh, which is an older expression, but it's, a, uh, it's again another indication that what we're talking about here is not just a social kind of uh, organizing. And then at, uh, Numbers chapter 2 uh, proceeds to talk about standards and uh, banners, and you may have a different translation. It may not say standards and banners in your translation. It might say uh, something like banners and enzymes or something like that. I'm not even sure what an enzyme is. But um, maybe there's somebody here with a military background and maybe you're familiar, more familiar with these terms. But once again, the idea is uh, th these are military, military terms. Numbers 2, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, the people of Israel shall camp by each by his own standard with the banners of his father's houses. And they shall camp facing the tent, a meeting on every side. So I've got, I pulled a couple of pictures um, that we're going to stick up. First one is just kind of um, uh, to give us a sense. I, I, I kind of like this picture because it kind of, uh, I think it gives us a, a bit of a realistic sense of what it might have been something like. 
Um, I assume that's Mount Sinai in the background there, or that's the intention. So, um, but then, then I, um, then I have another another picture that that I don't really like that much, but it it'll serve the purpose. Um, if you read through chapter two, you'll see that this is how they organized. They organized by uh, tribes. Okay, remember J- Jacob's sons that became the twelve tribes of Israel. Now you remember that um, uh, Joseph uh, actually it was actually Joseph's two sons. Ephraim or Ephraim and Manasseh that that were received the blessings from Jacob, their grandfather, and so they they became two tribes, the two tribes of Joseph, which works out to twelve tribes when you take Levi out of the mix, because God said He would take Levi, the tribe of Levi, the entire tribe of Levi, in the place of the firstborn that He claimed coming out of Egypt, and so even with uh, Levi, now uh, Aaron and Moses were the tribe of. Levi, and the Kohathites, uh, and the Gershonites, and the, and the um, uh, Merorites, however you say that, were also, that they made up the tribe of Levi. So the tabernacle is represented there in the center, and if you read through Numbers chapter 2 and following, you will see there that uh, God instructed um, Moses to organize the people like this around the tabernacle. And you would have noticed what we just read. Uh, when they camped, they all faced what direction? No. The tabernacle faced east. What direction did they face? The tabernacle. They all faced in towards the tabernacle. Interesting, eh? You would think if it was a military camp, they would all face out, wouldn't you? The tabernacle was the center of their life. All of their living focused on their worship. Their worship controlled their lives, or at least that's the way God intended it. Um, So um, Aaron and his sons, his four sons, uh, two of them died suddenly for offering strange incense that they weren't supposed to do. And God took them out immediately. And he had two other sons. And their families, their sons became the priesthood of Israel. Um, the rest of the Levites were given by God to the priests to assist them. They guarded the tabernacle and they served the tabernacle. Um, not only did they guard it, but they were also responsible for taking it down and putting it back up, uh, carrying it and putting it back up again. And all of these things become uh, significant for different reasons as you read through Scripture. But um, the, um, the, 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 Levi, the Levites in general were not allowed in the tabernacle. Only the priests could go in the tabernacle. You remember only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, Right? And only the priests could go in the tabernacle. The Levites couldn't go in the tabernacle. Um, uh, you read, I forget exactly where in there, but you'll read how um, the uh, priests, when they went to pack up, the priests had to take down the, the drapes, cover all the furniture, and only then could the Levites come in and pick up and, and finish the taking down and disassembling and transporting of, of, the, uh, of the tabernacle. 
Uh, if they went in without doing that, the sentence for that was death. That's correct. Now, the Levites couldn't go in the tabernacle, but they were responsible for uh, carrying the tabernacle um, and, and serving the tabernacle. And uh, if you were a, oh, let's say you were a, a Reubenite, uh, and you looked over and, and you were walking along and you saw a bunch of Levites there, you know, laboring under the weight of their load and you say, hey, let me give you a hand with that. The sentence for that was death too. Only the Levites were allowed to, to do that work. When they came into the land, God said to, uh, God divided the land amongst all the tribes um, they all got a piece of land except for somebody didn't get land. The whole tribe of Levi, no land. Do you know how important the land was to a Jew? It was everything to them. It was their livelihood for one thing. If you had no land, you had no way to, 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 to make a living. You, could, you couldn't, couldn't survive. How are you going to survive? Think about that. Put yourself in their shoes. Like the whole idea of the promised land and, and you don't get any. <laughs> You know what God told them? He said, I will be your portion. There's, there's immense significance in all that, by the way. There really is. When you start thinking about uh, yourself and how God has um, given you certain means to um, provide for yourself. But... At the end of the day, we're taught in Scripture that we really need to depend on God because when we start to think that we can make our own way in this world and provide for our own needs, we're, we're missing something, a, a vital point. And that point is, is that God ultimately is the one who promises to provide for us. So God put the Levites and, and the, the priests and the Levites in a, in a very uh, interesting position. And by the way, um, if you, if, if you, do, you know, I don't want you to miss this, uh, how God set out to provide for the Levites and the priests was through the offerings of all the other people. That was the sole means. Interesting, eh? Very interesting. I, I, I thought... Uh, and there's lots of lots of implications as you go through. But anyways, I don't want to bog I don't want to bog down. But uh, uh, you recognize the twelve sons there of uh, of uh, uh, Jacob. So these are this is this is family. These are these these are brothers, right? And as you go through the Old Testament, that word it gets used. You know, it says if your brother, if your brother Israelite, when you come into the New Testament, and and that term gets used a lot too, right? If your, you know, if you, if you, uh, uh, if your brother sins against you, go to him. It's a family connection. It goes all, all the way back. You know, Jesus didn't invent that stuff. Okay, the Old Testament established that. Um, let me see. Skip page two. Skip page three. Skip page four. Skip page five. Numbers 2.17, 
It says, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. So not only did they camp in formation, they marched in formation, they moved in formation. And God spelled it all out. And the tabernacle was always in the center. Now, um, that's a lot of organization. When you think about it, because we're talking millions of people, right? <clears throat> they camped in formation and they moved in formation. I, I find this fascinating because if you ever stop and think, what was it like? It would be really, really interesting. Like they moved, uh, you know, they, they, they moved more than once a year. They moved, you know, multiple times a year around the wilderness. And yet every time they set up camp, it would be exactly the same. So if you were, uh, uh, for example, um, you know, if you were part of this tribe and you were part of this family, and, and, and uh, by the way, let me read this, this, this for you. Uh, this is from Joshua uh, when Achan sinned and, and, they, and, they, and God instructed them how they were going to determine who it was that sinned. And he st said, call, start calling the tribes and then start calling the clans and go all the way down to the individual. Let me, let me read it. It says, in the morning, therefore you shall be uh, brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come by near, man by man. And when it came down to Achan, they discovered it was Achan that had defiled himself and had, had uh, defiled the, the nation, and it caused them to lose their, their battle. And um, he, he had to uh, his life was forfeited as a result. But, but the organization there, though, right? Incredible. Right down to the individual. Think about that. How do you move millions of people through a wilderness for 40 years? How do you move millions of people through anything? You know, like, we're talking a massive, massive amount of organization. And this is before uh, there was any uh, internet. No cell phones. You can't call up Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, you know, I want you to do this. Uh, no television, no radio, no print news, no loudspeakers. They did have trumpets. And, uh, and their organization, like when you get to, uh, you know, and I, I hope as well as reading through here, I hope you're reading ahead and reading back because really, you know, um, the Bible all ties together. It all really ties together. But when you get to Jericho, and God tells them to march around the walls of Jericho for seven, you know, seven times or whatever. Uh, we're talking significant organization. We're talking, you know, um, a really a massive accomplishment in terms of just sheer organization. And all organized around one thing, their relationship with God. Now, when you come to the New Testament... You read, you know, you read things like this. You read, uh, uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and through you all. It's the same principle. It's the same uh, concept or idea. And it's, uh, and it's an important one. That whole idea of being one. And the oneness is brought about by our allegiance to the one true uh, God who leads us. 
And so these are some of the, uh, uh, you know, call them prototypes of uh, church uh, organization and unity. And uh, here in the, in the Old Testament. But I, uh, I really have to move on because we're not talking about that today. Um, some of this stuff is kind of background kind of stuff, but, but it is, um, it's important. Uh, let me just um, uh, get you to look at Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 18, and then we'll look at verse 22 and verse 23. And again, this is not what we're talking about today either. This is background stuff, um, but it's, it's important. Uh, Numbers 9, 15. On, that, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. That's like what we read in Exodus, right? So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud um, rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Whether it was two days or a month, uh, verse 22 it says, whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. Verse 23 says, At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So I said they so they camped by by the command of the Lord and they moved by the command of the Lord for 40 years. And uh, we say why 40 years? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. But take take note here that uh, like when I say we you know we tend to call these the wilderness wanderings and I I've, I've used that phrase many times in the past wilderness wanderings. But that's probably a little off the mark. Because they weren't just wandering they're following the leading God the whole entire time, except when they refused to go in to take the land, right? Uh, we're going to talk about that today. But uh, uh, they, they moved where and when he led them. Um, n- not only that, but, you know, so they were never lost, okay? God knew where they were the whole time and had them right where he directed them. But not only that, but there's so many lessons for us in the wilderness uh, uh, narrative, that we can learn. Uh, it's not like, um, uh, or I hope it won't be wasted on us, the lessons. Um, so they lived in formation. They moved in formation. And uh, it was uh, intriguing to me. Um, Numbers 13. That's where we're at today uh, in the uh, storyline. Uh, Numbers 13. uh and 14, and we are going to be going to Hebrews if we have time as well, um, because there's a lot of tie-in, as you know already, to the book of Hebrews when it comes to the, 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 the tabernacle, but also the, the, the wilderness experience of Israel. Numbers 13, 1 and 3 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a, a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, According to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And then verse 4 and following lists the names of the 12 men they sent out to spy out the land. Names you will not know or will not remember, except probably for the two, because two of these men stood out. And they were uh, Caleb, who was of the tribe of 
Judah, that's correct. And Joshua, who was of the tribe of, it's right there in your text, but Ephraim is the right answer to that. Uh, no, I won't go into that. Okay, uh, so Caleb, uh, son of uh, Jephunneh, uh, and uh, Joshua, son of Nun, and uh, were the two names that you would probably uh, do well to remember because they were, um, they were, um, there was something different about those men from the other 10. Verse 21 uh, through 23 reads, So they went up and spied out the land of the wilderness of Zin uh, to Rehob near uh, Libo Hamath, maybe. And they went into the Negeb and came to Hebron and a bunch of other places. And the descendants of Anak were there. And then in parenthesis, Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt, which is interesting, just an interesting historical note. And they came to the valley of Skal and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and some figs. So the picture that we had on the screen when we dismissed the kids was a picture of those two men carrying a single uh, clump of grapes. Imagine a clump of grapes so big that it takes two men to carry it. I think it was probably a little bigger than that. Because, I mean, they would be able to carry quite a big, a big clump. So that's an indication, okay, um, of uh, the land and the fruit of the land. But then there was those, uh, those, those big people, right? Big people. Big fruit, big people. Hmm. Yeah, verse uh, 25 through 28. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look at this, look at these grapes, they said. This is amazing, verse 27. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and that's what God promised them, right? That's what he told them way back. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, that's so uh, so descriptive. Maybe it doesn't mean as much to you and I because we're so stinking wealthy that we can uh, eat anything we want anytime we want. All we got to do is just go to the, to the uh, grocery uh, store or whatever. And wow, we are so incredibly rich. But these people were living in a wilderness. I thought it was really interesting. One place it says, and see if there's any trees there. Uh, where, where was that? It's in here somewhere. Ah, we'll come to it. Trees. Uh, check and see if there are any trees. Why would he say that? Because they were in the wilderness and there were not much for trees in the wilderness, okay? Bushes, scrubs, the odd tumbleweed. Maybe an oasis here and there, but trees, not so much. And I don't know if you know this or not, but trees are really, really quite wonderful. Have you ever been out in a really, really stinking hot day in the middle of July and you can't get in the shade anywhere and you find a nice big oak with a hammock <laughs> and some lemonade? <laughs> I tell you. In fact, uh, later, later uh, the, the, the Jews would have this, this thing that they would say that they would use to describe 
uh, like the life, the life of Riley, right? They would sit, they would, and the, the, the phrase is, and some of you know it, it was this phrase, every man under his own fig tree, right? You heard that before? Yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm digressing, but that's okay. Uh, let's keep going. Um, uh, I, think we're, uh, I think we're at verse 30, Numbers 13, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, so that's Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, of the tribe of Judah. Okay, He's saying, we, let's do it, guys. Let's go. You ready? Let's go. And the men who had gone up with him, verse 31, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are giants. The land is full of giants. We can't go up there. You'd have to be crazy to go up there. They just eat us up. They eat us for breakfast. And there we saw the Nephilim. Ooh, the Nephilim. Nephilim. Some of you don't know who the Nephilim were, and I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to find out for yourself. The sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Little wee, little wee grasshoppers. Inside these great big giants of men. Whether they really saw the Nephilim or not is, is up for discussion because um, it would appear that the Nephilim would have died all in the died in the flood. So maybe, maybe. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, embellishment going on here. Do you think? I think. I don't think the men were quite that big. But this is part of the whole thing of this, uh, this passage, right? Is all 12 of these men went to the same place, places and saw the same things. But the report that they brought back was completely different. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 4 says, And all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What did I do with my water? Did I have it here? Or did I just imagine that? Interesting. I don't know. You see any water there? That, that's probably it, Robert. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
I apologize for being scatterbrained. Um, I'm usually scatterbrained, but some days more worse than others. Thank you for that. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's another one of these really kind of sad, pathetic type situations, right? Well, let's just, um, let's read what the Lord has to say to them, um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll see what he has to say to us. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 28 to 35, God instructs Moses, he says, say to the people, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. What, what's he talking about? Wish we had died in the wilderness. Be careful what you say. Right? Be careful what you say. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number, lifted in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you to dwell. Except Caleb, uh, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Because those men both said, we, we need to go and do this. God will enable us. He's promised us. He said, your enemies will not be able to stand before you. And he is faithful. We can do this. You, but, but your little ones, verse 31, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. Verse 33, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faith, faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied at the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will, I will do um, to all this wicked congregation who are gathered against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. That's Numbers 24, or sorry, Numbers 14, uh, verses 28 through 35. It's interesting, I find it interesting that when Moses sent the spies out, he sent them out with specific instructions, and I, you know, I, it, 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 it almost you know, like I, I find myself asking the question, like, why, did, why send the spies at all? If, if we know that God is going to give us the land, He's given us the land, and He, and He's already told us that nobody would be able to stand against us, and He's already told us that it's a man, land flowing with milk and honey. Why send the spies? Not only did he send the spies, but Moses gave the spies specific instructions. If you look back, um, and I don't have this ready for, to project for you, but if you look back in verses 17 to 20, the, those specific instructions that Moses gave to the spies, says, go and see whether the, land, whether the people who dwell in the land are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. 
and see whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad or whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor. Oh yeah, that's what it says in verse 20. It says, and see if there's any trees, will you? Right? Well, why, you know, why, 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 why even go look? Right? It's curious, eh? Uh, I, I think there's a lesson there for us because I think that uh, sometimes we think that faith uh, diminishes our obstacles. That 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 having faith in the sense that the Bible calls us to have faith, or that God wants us to have faith, means that we downplay uh, the the obstacles, or that we um, you know minimize. And and it would appear that that that's not the case at all. Rather that. Biblical faith magnifies God. It doesn't downplay the uh, the opposition, um, but it does maximize our appreciation and our faith and our trusting in in God. So, so what happened here? Uh, you know, like this is what it's all about, right? Like that, this isn't, isn't this the whole idea? We're gonna leave Egypt and go to the promised land. Like that, that's the whole, the whole thing, right? This is really sad, isn't it? Really sad. And, and I can't help but think, you know, how many times did these people get, grumble against God and against Moses and Aaron? I mean, how many, how many times did they, did they do this? And they did it over and over and over and over again, but there's something about this time. It was kind of like, like this time God said, you know what? You, you, you're going to get exactly what you, you asked for. You're going to die in the wilderness. Man, that's, that's sad. It's really sad. Um, God refers to their sin here as rebellion. They, uh, that's the term that he, that he uses. Do we ever do that? Are we guilty of rebelling against God? I'm talking to Christians today. I'm not, you know, you might be here and maybe you don't, maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you've never, ever had the experience of, of responding to God's call upon your life to, to come and into relationship with him and, and to have him forgive your sins and make you, take you and make you his own. I, if that is your case this morning, I hope you will make that kind of a, of a decision because um, that's kind of like that's like the bottom line starting point right if you don't go anywhere uh, without the without the Lord in your life but but if you have the Lord in your life does that mean that we don't ever rebel against God we wish it was the case right yeah um, I wish that we had time to go to the book of Hebrews and read all that it says in the book of Hebrews about this passage, and we don't. Um, because we have to read the whole book of Hebrews. We're not going to do that. But I am going to read a portion of the book of Hebrews for you, and I don't want you to look it up. Uh, you, you can turn there if you want. But, but I'm just going to read it to you. And it's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 through 47. Some, four, four, chapter 4, verse 7. Um, Psalm 95. The psalmist in Psalm 95 picks up on this account. And, um, and the, the writer of Hebrews picks up on the psalmist's statements. And you'll see that in here when I read to you. So I'm going to read to you from the New Testament, book of Hebrews, 
starting in chapter 3, verse 5, and following up through chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. That is a reference to Psalm 95, where the psalmist in Psalm 95 looks back on this period of history in the wilderness and challenges the people of God. Uh, and this is, I, I didn't check to see what you know, Psalm 95, the uh, historical context of Psalm 95, but it would be hundreds of years, uh, several hundred years after the event in the wilderness. And the psalmist looks and speaks to his generation and says, don't harden your hearts like in the wilderness. So the writer of Hebrews is then going to the, uh, the psalmist and he's writing to you and I today in the New Testament and saying this still applies. Okay? So picking up again verse 11, it says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For, good news, for the good news came to us uh, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, for we who have believed, enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, that would be Psalm 95, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And when I read that through that passage, when I read through that passage, it occurred to me, I only see two options there. I see either on the one option where you're in the wilderness, the other option where you're in the promised land, which the author of Hebrews refers to as his rest. And I'm not seeing any middle space here. Do you see middle space there? 
Um, we're either falling away or we're entering in. We're either failing to enter or we are entering. And uh, the problem, it says, according to verse 11, that's uh, chapter 4, verse 11, is the same sort of disobedience, that's the quote the sa- from Hebrews 4.11, the same sort of disobedience. Um, for the good news was preached to them uh, as it was to us, chapter 4, verse 2, and they rebelled. I point you back to chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. We have those on the screen. Uh, Hebrews 3, 18 19. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. I would encourage you to... um, uh, in your reading to um, take some time to read the book of Hebrews. Um, it will help you with some of these passages in uh, Numbers. Um, um, where the author goes from here is he goes to talk about the um, the tabernacle. I'm talking about the author of Hebrews. He goes to talk about the tabernacle. And he talks about us having a great high priest. You can read it, chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12. And we're you know, quickly running out of time, so I'm not going to try to do that, okay? You, but you can read that. You've read it before, I'm, think, I'm thinking. You know, we don't have a high priest who can't, be, who can't sympathize, but a high priest that's been tempted in every way such as we are, and yet was without sin. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace that's there to receive help in time of need. Interesting. He's talking about entering the land, and now he's talking about entering the Holy of Holies. And then what he does, in the, the author of the book of Hebrews, is he launches into a several chapter exposition of the priesthood and the tabernacle of Israel and draws parallels with the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus as our great high priest. And then, and he calls us to enter in. Now, I say, I'm not going to read down through, but, but I got to take you, if you, um, Dave, do you have uh, chapter four, verses nine through 12 there? This is the end, this is the end of chapter four, Okay. This is the end of Hebrews chapter 4, following what I just read to you a minute ago. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's important. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. That's important too. Who's also, who's, who has rested from his works as God did, did from his. Because we need to understand what, what he's talking about here when he's talking about rest, okay? Uh, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Then he goes in verse 12 and says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerning, uh, discerning in thoughts and intentions of the heart. I wish we had time to talk more about that and the role that the word of God plays in this, but we won't. We'll, we'll go on to uh, verse, uh, uh, is it verse 13? 
That's verse 13 says. Yeah, okay, it's following up verse 12. What about verse 14? 14, 15, 16, that's what I meant to, meant to say. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are and yet without sin. And then he urges us to come, right? With confidence. Come with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace. You understand that the Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. Remember the cherubim that Jerry talked about, the angels that spread their wings up over the Ark and, 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 and the mercy seat? It's called the mercy seat. It was the, that's, where, that's where God dwelled amongst his people. That's where he showed up. That's where he dwelt amongst them. And so this reference here is talking about coming into the very presence, presence of God. For what purpose? To receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what I want to do um, is I mentioned that where he goes then, okay? So then he, he starts talking about the high priest. He talks about Jesus, our great high priest. And he talks about the tabernacle. And he talks about the, um, you know, all, all of those things. And, and it's, there's, there's such a, a, a consistency in his thought, in his line of thought, that you can actually go and jump right in to chapter 10 and pick up his line of thought. And I'm, I'm not suggesting you don't need, need to read those chapters. But just take a look, okay? You see what it says there? We have, a, we have a great high priest, and we can enter into the Holy of Holies and find mercy, right, and grace. Now, just, uh, Dave, if you would, just slip over to chapter um, 10, verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place or places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Jerry talked about that as well. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since all these things are true, let us draw near. Since Jesus Christ has done in reality what the high priest did in type or image or picture, and he has atoned for our sins, and he was tempted in every way we are and identified with us, and yet was perfect without sin, and has done this, we can enter the very presence of God, the very throne room of God, with confidence. What confidence? What is your confidence? What is your confidence, Josh? Pardon? Your sin is covered. By who? Jesus Christ. If you have any other confidence, you're in big trouble. That's what he's talking about. That's what this is all about. Okay? Um, let us draw near with a true heart of a full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now look at those words. He who promised is faithful. Remember Joshua and Caleb? They said, guys, start packing up. We're going in. And everybody's going, no, we can't do that. The issue here is faith. 
Are you going to trust God or not? Are you gonna, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, it says they had the gospel preached to them. They had the good news preached to them, just like we have the good news preached to us. Well, what is the good news? Good news is that God does it. God does it. God fulfills his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. And do you believe that? Because whether you believe that or not is the issue. It was the issue in Numbers 13 and 14, and it's the issue today. Do you believe what God said he did and will do? That's the, 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 the issue. Do you believe that the one who promised, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not pointing at you, honey. There's a screen down here, right? Do, do you believe that the one who promised is, <laughs> is faithful? Right? Is that your confidence? Um, Verse 25, uh, just keep on rolling here, Dave. Verse 24, sorry. Let's hold fast to the confession of our faith. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works and not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more day, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26 says, um, do we have verse 26? I didn't put verse 26 in. Oh, I know why. Verse 26, right? For if we go, if we sin deliberately, after, yeah, then there remains no sacrifice for sin. Verse 26 says, if we... Uh, If we sin deliberately, there, uh, there remains no sacrifice for sins after we've received knowledge of the truth. And then let, let, let's, we're in for a penny, let's go in for a pound. Let's go on to verses 27, 28, and 29, and we'll stop there. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think we will be deserving by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Now, I've had Christians read, read that. I, I've read it myself at times and think, wow, that's scary. That's really scary. What's that mean? Does that mean that if I'd sin deliberately, that I am no longer covered by the blood of Jesus? I brought us to this place here today because this is one of those places where, you know, in the New Testament you have such a a profound extended commentary on Old Testament narrative. And it's often misunderstood. What, what he's saying here is you can't go back to the old. If you reject Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for your sin, you can't go back to the old way. Because the old way doesn't have any real effect on the forgiveness of your sin. What did he say back in Hebrews chapter uh, 
4, it says, they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. They were not able to enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith or was not mixed with faith. In other words, they didn't believe. It's just that simple. <coughs> and I'm done because my throat is done. And you're saying, praise the Lord. Lord, can you get him to stop? Stop him. Stop him. <laughs> Want to stand? Stretch your legs. Take a deep breath. Yeah, you'd love to, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Take a deep breath. What's your confidence? What are you trusting in? You hear those spies? We can't do that. We can't do that. What's it mean to rest from your own works? It means to say, of course we can't do that. That's not what this is all about. He's done it. And he will do it. That's faith. That's where we need to be. So uh, let me uh, let me stop and get. I'm gonna get somebody to pray for us. I need somebody to to close this. Uh, and Andy, Andy Matthews, would you be so kind? Thank you. <laughs>